So I try to kind of like what you're doing with your newsletter, you know, to customers, I try to bring some clarity through visualizing and mapping these concepts to their problem sets. You know, one thing every customer wants to do is the models are great, but I want to make sure that it is accurate with the tasks that I'm trying to achieve. Welcome to Humans of AI, where we tell the real stories of those who are building an AI or are making use of it in their daily lives. Today's guest is Govin Kantaneni, a member of Microsoft's Azure Global Black Belt team helping to drive clarity on the capabilities of Microsoft's Copilot and cloud-native stack. He's deeply passionate about the transformative potential of technologies that are at the frontier and is focused on fostering the wider adoption of AI for intelligent apps. If you want to catch the latest episodes, make sure to subscribe. And check out my free AI newsletter, Chaos Theory. And find me on social at Alex Chowmander. Now, without further ado, here's my talk with Govind. Hello, everybody. I'm here joined with Govind. My friends and colleagues here at Microsoft uh, working uh, a lot on AI, trying to empower and bring this new technology to several enterprise customers. Govin can definitely do a much better job introducing himself, so I'll pass it off to him. Govin, who are you? What's your origin story? And yeah, go ahead. Cool. Hey, Alex. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. It's, it's always great talking with you and in, in, a, in a podcast setting. Um, so hello, everyone. My name is Govind. Uh, my last name is a little challenging. It's Cam Tumnini. It's four syllables. I'll start talk about my professional career and where I started. Uh, it started in 2006 at um, IBM, where I initially was a software engineer, focused on a bunch of traditional sort of what you might think a software engineering you know job entails. And that product was FileNet when I worked on it, which now morphed into the Watson Data Platform. And after four years, uh, you know, it was it was quite uh, impactful and rewarding. But I wanted to kind of see where it's being applied. Uh, so I joined IBM's software group, Expert Labs, to help customers kind of diffuse some of these capabilities and build like sort of information systems. Uh, initially, it was line of business apps, and then you know end user apps, uh, applications, and sort of modernizing into cloud. So I did that for a decade. Uh, I've worked on some, you know, a lot of these projects kind of start from the user needs and then go all the way to production. So some of the names are like Hertz or, you know, Delta, like end user consumer facing you know, applications and stacks. So I, I kind of built that. So that, that's again, super rewarding where you get to see what it is. And between that time period, I, you know, I kind of majored in a computer science, did a master's. And then between that, I also got an MBA from the University of Chicago sponsored by IBM. So super thankful uh, to them for that. Um, and the reason I did that is because I I really like how, I mean, technical capabilities are great, but then when they are, when sort of capital is allocated to diffuse them and solve a real need, seeing that and being part of that is super valuable as well. So I wanted to kind of understand the mental models of like basic, uh, how is capital efficiently allocated? So all that piece that kind of merging technology with the business domain. So that so I really enjoyed um, learning the, those topics and, and applying them. And then I've been dabbling in sort of, so the poster behind me is the standard model of particle physics. So I've been sort of deeply passionate about the sort of, you know, mysteries of uh, th that poster. It's, it's insane that like humans by through the language of nature, you know, mathematics, we're able to codify the the fabric of reality, if you will, in an equation form, yet it is not complete. Um, there are a lot of gaps there with 
you know, there's uh, gravity is unexplained. The intersection of quantum physics and classical physics is not incomplete. So there's things that we don't know yet, and but there's a lot that we do know and that we do apply through engineering and solve problems. So that part, and and then I read books like David Deutsch and all these books that kind of highlight that you know the limit the limiting factor is really intelligence it is it is the fact that we maybe our evolution program does you know to only perceive the world in three dimensions we work with models that are like you know many thousands and you know millions of dimensions right so th there's something there um that maybe is limiting but with intelligence which the the, the definition there the definition that, that I subscribe to is the one by Santa Fe Institute. I really like that one, which is it's just the reduction of uncertainty. So if we look at it in those lens, there are things about the universe that I think like, or about why we exist, like why are the lights on? Why, why are we talking? Like what is consciousness? You know, the, these unanswered questions, hopefully we can we can understand. Um, so that's why I've been deeply fascinated with that topic and been paying attention. You know, I did Coursera courses and Udacity and kind of self-taught some of the machine learning primitives. And then uh, 2017, 2018, like all the buzz around, um, especially like, especially when OpenAI was releasing some of the stuff on DeepMind, like I've been following what they're doing. It's clear we're, we're, we're on some exponential here. And to see that kind of diffuse so quickly with ChatGPT, it's insane. So I've been, um, so anyway, so, so at IBM it was rewarding and then I switched over to Volkswagen, Audi, Porsche, they were building a self-driving car. Uh, so I thought I could, you know, apply and learn um, some of these deep neural nets and, and how they're actually used to solve real world problem. And, and, and they are doing a good job, but um, I think they'll say it themselves like Tesla is like a decade ahead. <laughs> and definitely the players at the frontier are like Tesla, Waymo. So, um, so, so it was good, but then, you know, I wanted something um, maybe at the, maybe go back to what I was doing, helping customers. So this Microsoft job, I work as a global black belt here, uh, working with your team, uh, semantic kernel team, uh, which has been super rewarding to see that being adapted by enterprises and, and how they're solving problems. When Govin says he's a global black belt, it really is literally a black belt because he's coming in, like saving the day. If, maybe black ops is, is, a, is a better <laughs> term, but uh, no, I, I think he works on the uh, thorniest, like most difficult problems that enterprise face, uh, customers ranging the whole spectrum. Uh, and especially in this current AI moment where everyone's so fascinated, as you said, with ChatGPT, with the capabilities of large language models, a lot of enterprises are just trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, could you maybe talk very high level? Obviously you can't, don't, don't name names or share anything you don't, that we can't talk publicly, but at a high level, what is it that you're, probably most currently working on. Sure. Um, so before I do that, I just want to say about my team. Um, so you're right, uh, it is, uh, we try to be at the at, at the frontier of technology, try to uh, incubate new, new tech to our uh, customers. And in my team, everyone sort of narrowly focuses on one area and they go super deep. So everyone's like specialized. And the cool thing is it, I have full autonomy to do whatever I want to do, but I am accountable to be impactful. So that allows us to kind of follow our passion really and 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 just go deep. And so what I've been mainly focused on is our co-pilot stack. I think that's a good sort of catalytic framework that was announced at Build by Kevin Scott. Um, and at the center of it is the orchestration layer, which 
your team, Semantic Kernel, uh, does a good job at fulfilling. So, uh, so to answer your question, um, what I do uh, is try to drive clarity to customers that have these technical, you know, there, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. There's a lot of, you know, orchestrators. There's a lot. There, our stack, Azure itself, has so many services. Uh, there's so many shiny Lego blocks. But customers care about like how to compose them and build the objects that they care about. So I try to drive clarity, you know, in that using, you know, some samples and frameworks and tools and try to first understand their problem really and understand what the end user need that they're trying to serve and then kind of work backwards and then try to see which Azure service or open source, you know, whatever kind of. Uh, fits and, and solves the problem. The other one is unblock them, you know, when they're blocked. So it's really two things, you know, drive clarity, especially with our incubations, and then to unblock in their technical journey. Yeah, you mentioned incubations. Uh, one of the things that I've seen you do and uh, create is this project called Miyagi. Do you want to maybe give the listeners uh, a sure. rundown or at least an overview of what that is? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, another sort of context. So so before Miyagi, I was working on another sample called Red Dog, both of which you can find under Azure or Azure samples. Um, and the reason, this is something that, you know, I, I've, I've done it before at IBM and I see my team at Global Black Belts also do is, you know, we go and we talk to customers and we kind of look at their use cases that they're trying to solve or want to solve. And usually there's an overlap with the type of use cases that customers are trying to solve. And, and so, so one thing is, how do you sort of create that repeatable pattern for customers to you know, inspire from, to look at it as a, a blog post or, a, or through code? How can you like uh, essentially get them started on their use case? For personally, like I need a canvas to kind of go deep and learn these things. Um, you know, if I'm just talking to customers all day, I'm not really applying things. I'm not really coding and getting to the nuts and bolts and or bits and bytes of things. So, so I need like a, a sort of uh, surface area to do that. So, like we created these samples. So last year it was Red Dog, which is a retail store, and before any sort of orchestrators existed, I just showcased how you can bolt on AI with just open AI to do like generative product description for personalized medicine. Or in diffusion model space, I have it personalized. Um, let's say you want to do pill creation. I can show the demo of that, but basically it just uses diffusion model to create, you know, medical images. Um, or so so this year, you know, with the orchestrators, everything changed, right? So we wanted to kind of go back to the drawing board and see, you know, how else we can capture all the use cases that we're seeing in a in in a story because we humans we talk in stories, so we came up with this story of like a Robin Hood or like a financial advisor, and then my colleague David Barkle he kind of uh, was watching Karate Kid with his son, <laughs> so he suggested. So my original name was Copilot or Private Copilot, uh, which was honestly boring. So he suggested, you know, hey, you looked at this character that you know teaches karate concepts through wax on wax off type of thing, <laughs> and I was like, all right. <laughs> so that name sounded really cool. So. So we came with Miyagi, and all, all it is is a, is a collection of use cases that showcase through code and how to use semantic kernel, for example, you know the the retrieval augmented generation pattern, or essentially to synthesize um, information. And then the other one is, you guys have this Copilot chat sample, which is really awesome. Uh, but customers, I'm hearing this a lot, is they want to take that Copilot chat 
and adapt it to their own front ends. It could be a mobile app, it could be whatever, right? So in this case, the Miyagi front end, which is a different front end, uses your Copilot chat web API as the back end. So it's showcasing customers, hey, this is how you can take Copilot chat and use it for your use case. So just things like that. Very cool, very cool. If you have it on hand, do you have yeah. maybe some sort of like mind map or or something to to walk us through the yeah. the mind of Govind and how he approaches problems, how he solves things, or even just what you've already solved so far? So I, I like that you 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 talked about like a mind map or a mental model, and and that's how I like to think about things. So this is a slide deck that I've been trying to kind of pitch customers a lot, uh, just kind of showcasing, you know, how can you infuse AI and develop these intelligent apps with semantic kernel, copilot stack, et cetera, just kind of set the stage. I like to think in terms of like how we are going to approach this, uh, sort of like the mental models of uh, things, if you will. People are going to baby step their way to embed intelligence, I think. Like, you know, it's going to be a phased approach, if you will. And I think the first phase is always like, okay, at the end of the day, it's just an API call. You know, I can just go spin up a model and they'll have an API. It's a REST call. You know, I'll just go ahead and play that. And I think we do a good job with um, the OpenAI Playground. You know, you kind of start here. And I think anyone who starts with the OpenAI models have, have kind of done this. You play with the temperature or whatever, and then just do some chat stuff um, or chat GPT. That's the way it works. And then the other one is, um, yeah, you start to kind of learn concepts about in-context learning capability that they have and prompt engineering. And then I think the next phase is to start, you know, augmenting your own sort of authoritative data sets to make the model's output con uh, more relevant for your needs. And that's where I think, you know, orchestrators like Semantic Kernel can play a easy role to be able to uh, do augmentation um, and achieve domain specificity. You know, there's obviously like plugins now uh, with the whole OpenAI open uh, function extensions. Uh, this is where you might get exposed to vector stores and then you'll, you know, kind of understand that the models are representing information in a certain way in these high dimensional vectors. And there is actually a lot of value in taking your information, sort of vectorizing, getting those embeddings. And there are these purpose built databases or database extensions that allow you to store and retrieve. Um, so, so there's all these concepts that you get exposed to, and then you get exposed to these new design patterns like the RAG pattern to ground the model's output. And then there's the new way is to kind of give agency, right, to build these agents. And I think Semantic Kernel's Planner, uh, which is evolving fast, does a really good job at allowing you to do that. Uh, there's a lot of closed loop ones as well. So, so I, I like to think in these mental models. The other mental model that I have, oh, I'm still working on this diagram, but uh, basically how to achieve sort of domain specificity or improve task accuracy. If we could go back one one sure. slide uh, and double click on specifically yeah. the agents piece. Yeah, sure. Do you want to maybe give your high level thoughts on just what do you think about agents overall? At least today, they're they are the the buzzword of of the day uh, yeah. in the AI the AI field, everyone's trying to build an agent or trying to explore the limits of what agents can do. Do you view it as a like groundbreaking new thing? Is it more hype than reality? Where do you fall on this? I've never seen this amount of change and adoption as I think we're all going through right now. And I think there are multiple 
areas of exponentials here, right? So number one, it's the model architecture itself is evolving fast. Uh, just before this call, I was reading about this LogNet thing that Microsoft just came out with. Uh, and by the way, Alex, I have to give you a prop. You do a great job with your newsletter, the Chowdowns, um, where you distill and synthesize all this information. For, uh, and it's really cool. I, I try to follow that. Uh, you know, there's state-based models. So there's a lot of model architecture that is sort of evolving from this sort of decoder-only, you know, self-attention transformer, right, that we're used to with ChatGPT. Um, so, so, so that's going to continue to like get better and better. And and they really are like this. Their job really is to predict the next token for now. And you know, there there's no like, I mean, which it does a great job at because it really this sort of, what is it, chinchilla optimal scaling law, if you will, that it was trained on, allows it to have these emergent capabilities where it's where it can reason, et cetera, but it cannot plan, right? It cannot, um, like the like we have system two, system one, system two thinking, and it, you know maybe it lacks that system two thinking, and we don't know. We don't know, like the power, like its ability to predict the next token, um, maybe is, Maybe it's not fully understand, uh, or or maybe it's not fully grasped, grasped as to how um, crazy it is that it is able to, you know, represent and understand things. So, you know, what, what I'm saying is, it cannot really plan as well. So, in order to do that, we're augmenting the model or really wrapping it and giving agency to the orchestrators. So, I think, um, you know, th there's actual like companies out there like Replica, Character AI. Um, a few others, and they, in fact, some of the Microsoft Copilots kind of do this too. Um, even per, I don't know if you played with Perplexity AI. They introduced this Copilot that kind of does this crazy planning. It asks you questions. It's reasoning. It's that whole reason and ac action th type of thing. Um, so the orchestrator is be is is the one that seems to have that agency, and um, in fact. Uh, I don't know if you've been following what Jan Lacun is going out there and doing. He's, he's basically saying that there's going to be these world models and like there's going to be a reward model that is going to augment the large language model. And anyway, there's all these architectures that are emerging. And I think agents are the way we are primarily going to interact with these models. And there's just going to be many agents. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure Facebook is about to release like a ton of them between WhatsApp and all the product experiences that they have. Um, so, that, so that I think for sure, like even though when you get started, you're not going to like make your orchestrator kind of agentic. I think that's where it's just going to evolve. And as consumers, we're just going to kind of experience through these agents that have intelligence. What would you say is the main blocker or hindrance or thing that's not there right now, uh, preventing more people, more companies, more enterprises to adopting agents today? Yeah. So. This really gets into really sort of creepy territories. I mean, we work with a lot of industries or companies that are in regulated industries. Um, I mean, forget about agents, even just the model, a stateless model, you know, running inference on it is problematic because data sets are extremely sensitive and there's all kinds of, you know, compliance and laws and regulations that they care about. So giving a freewheeling agent to just do whatever, you know, with your data set and, I mean, think about what it can do, right? It can, like the like Semantic Kernels Planner, if we take that, you know, it breaks down a task and just round trips with the large language model. And you can also give it connectors and, and data sets. I mean, 
they can be prone to like prompt injection attacks. I mean, all kinds of security uh, loopholes can be exploited here. So I think companies um, that are especially not in like a competitive sort of marketplace uh, are more, you know, prone to like regulation. They're, they're more careful. Um, so I doubt they're going to adopt anytime soon, like maybe maybe not this year, I, I think. Um, maybe in some niche cases. But consumer apps are going to, for sure. Like, uh, like uh, I don't know if you played with Replica or Character AI. Like that's basically what's going on behind the scenes. Like in Replica, it even alerts you like to uh, proactively take care of you, kind of, or your mental health. <laughs> so, so I, I think I think they're going to explode. I think the most important thing. I'm, I'm part of this project called the Gato Project. I don't know if you heard about that one. So, so I think one of the most important concerns here is the reward model or like the objective function that it is trying to optimize for or maximize. Uh, that is the how the reward model is encoded in the agent. So. You know, we all know with social media, like it's basically the algorithm is to maximize attention. So, you know, we all know the problems about it. We're not going to get into it. But that that's because the reward model is about are you going to click the ad or not? Like it, like that's how, you know, they, they make money. So if we go down this path and if we start coding reward models to sort of maximize the short-term profitability of the company, uh, I, I think it could be problematic because these things can exploit our sort of reward system that we have as homo sapiens, if you will, you know, with like a dopamine uh, induced, like, I mean, TikTok is a classic example. It's like doom scrolling all day, right? People are, I, I mean, at the end of the day, nobody actually feels good about it, but we're kind of addicted. It's like, it's messing up with their sort of, you know, uh, addiction circuitry, if you will. So I think it's important to align that reward model to maximize sort of that overall human well-being and this Gato project, if you will, they're, they're doing a good job. They kind of codified um, some ways to kind of, you know, some axioms that they think will help humans like, you know, reducing suffering or um, all kinds of things. Anyway, we're going off topic, but uh, <laughs> but this is, that's why, like, when we get into agent territory, I think that's where regulation is going to come into play big time. So, but it's happening fast. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's it seems like the one of the main challenges and the broader maybe philosophical challenges, like where do you put the control of of these technologies, right? You know, in the past, right, when we would effectively say, like, okay, if I'm gonna run a program, it just runs deterministically, you know, inputs and outputs and control the flow of, of that. Uh, but with these agents, right, with with AI effectively being able to come up or make its own decisions and uh, even make use of tools or functions or capabilities, plugins that are either explicitly like given as how like the semantic kernel does it, or maybe it, it can build its own tooling you know, or create its own, write its own code bases, uh, maybe. I think that it just starts to get a little nerve-wracking to imagine like oh yeah the control is starting to go away from the the programmer the yeah. the, the user and now yeah. into this this ai and to your point i'm especially scared with these closed loop ones like i'm sure auto gpt and baby agi you've probably heard about it i'm sure and, and actually microsoft has something called jarvis <laughs> that stuff is where you know human is kind of taken out of the loop and it's maximizing whatever 
you know, reward model, like whatever objective function was encoded. And who knows what that is, right? So, but yeah, uh, I, so far I think hardware is a limiting factor, so it can only go so far. Um, and also the fact that, you know, it's not really connected to like an actuator in the real world. Like the intersection of, you know, bits and atoms are, are they're getting there, but they're not there yet. Like it's not going to actually like, you know, I'm sure you're following the media. It's like, <laughs> you know, Terminator style, like killers. Like I don't think that's going to happen yet, but I think, like for example, what Elon is about to, you know, ship. Uh, I forget what it's called. Artemis, yeah, uh, Prime, something like that. Yeah, the 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 robot, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to be in your home that will help you with your chores, which is great. But I think if he doesn't open source the reward model that he's trying to maximize, you know, it's going to be a little bit problematic. Mm-hmm. But it's really a kind of closed loop agent uh, with, you know, access to sensors and actuators, like. I mean, I I don't know what it can do with his hands. I mean, it, it can be dangerous. So anyway, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, both of us have spent some time in the self-driving car industry, and we've, we've seen, you know, the attempts to try to marry the real world and the, the digital world. Uh, and it's not always pretty. It doesn't always work and uh, can actually cause some, some real uh, fatal impact. So... Uh, I'm curious, what where did you work at before? I was at Uber. Uber's a oh, advanced nice. technologies group. Uh, nice. Yeah, working. Uh, spent my spent some time in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and then came to the Bay Area. But all throughout that time was mostly focusing on computer vision, sensor fusion type problems, mm-hmm. as well as actually just like how do we combine all the data that Uber has collected over time right with their knowledge about where business actually happens where people want to go right and how do we join that with the self-driving capabilities because at the time it's like oh self-driving cars have a hard time doing unprotected left turns right or Mm -hmm. uh, especially in pittsburgh where there's a lot of hills right the the cars based off their sensor array can only see so far especially if you're climbing up a uh, an incline so Anyway, so all these like sort of problems where, yeah, there's like literally, it's not this, to say that the the technology isn't there. It's just more you're you're dealing with the real world and the unpredictability and variability of it. Yeah, and the, and the consequences are huge. I, I I was listening to, you know, Dara's interview and he was saying how, I know that project you're working on got kind of spinned off or something like that, uh, divested, but he was saying how, like imagine if, even if there's one fatality, you know, a year or a month or whatever, right? There's likely going to be more. Imagine if you're a company and you're having to kind of go defending that, you know, in in society, like, oh, only two people died this year, like something <laughs> like. Even though it might not be their fault, it's still the the long tail of possibilities are endless. So it's hard. It's a hard problem. For sure, for sure. Is there any more that you wanted to? Yeah, off, uh, with your um, mind map. I, yeah, I think we kind of started with that mental model. So this is another one that I tried to kind of create. So I think we're all visual learners. Um, there's a lot of concepts and, you know, text. So I try to kind of like what you're doing with your newsletter, you know, to customers, I try to bring some clarity through visualizing and mapping these concepts to their problem sets. You know, one thing every customer wants to do is the models are great but I want to make sure that it is accurate with the task that I'm trying to achieve. 
Um, so one thing I kind of laid out is, look, it's a trade-off, you know, with how you do that, um, like everything in life. So you can, and, 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 and basically what I'm trying to do with this one is mapping the main ways that we can achieve sort of domain specificity with these models. And I think most of the time, you know, we're going to just be doing prompt engineering, right? Exploiting that in-context learning capabilities that these models have, where, you know, there's sort of zero-shot prompt. Oops. There's, you know, all these concepts, right? Like zero-shot prompting or, you know, all these knobs and configurations that we can adjust to get the model to be more accurate. And then there, there are all these prompt engineering topics as well, like few-shot prompts or role prompt and chain of thought, tree of, tree of thought, and, you know, all these patterns, right? We can maybe, we can have a whole hour on these topics. Uh, and then I think orchestrators like Semantic Kernel is how you can sort of infuse uh, AI and, and do prompt engineering in a sort of scalable fashion, if you will, um, with your product experiences. So I think that's where it's very important. And most of the time, like for most folks, you know, if you have models that are like, you know, 4K, which is about five pages, or 8, 8K. Um, so, so one thing for the audience that might not know, these models have limitations on how much context it can hold, uh, depending on the model. Uh, I think the max that we have with GPT-4 is 32K for now. Um, and that's basically roughly 40 pages of text. And if you have about like 100,000 tokens, if you will, or, you know, type of... Um, domain knowledge that you want the model to follow. I think prompt engineering, you can achieve, you know, you can chunk that word, uh, uh, stuff and then do, you know, like retrieval augmented generation pattern and things like that and try to get more accurate responses by just doing prompt engineering. Um, so this is what I tell customers like, hey, you don't need to like, you know, there's a lot of talk about fine tuning and stuff. And yeah, there is maybe some value there, but most of the time just stick to prompt en engineering. And I think if you want like a more, if you want the model to like focus on a few areas in its response or output in a certain style, like you're maybe a customer, um, uh, a call center co-pilot or something, and you know you don't want it to, you don't want the model to like pontificate on some random topics. Uh, you want it to, let's say, stay focused on you know call center topics. You can like fine tune it. It's not going to learn new knowledge per se, but at least it will, you know, try to um be a better version you know for your task if you will and this is the whole rlhf stuff and all, all that and, and basically you know microsoft we have you know azure ml foundation model hub or catalog where you can fine-tune models these open source models and then you can also like leverage our optimization stack or our uh, parameter efficient fine-tuning methods that microsoft research can open source and it's pretty much the industry norm to use these two type of things um, and then the other one is uh, really like what Bloomberg did, you know, with Bloomberg GPT, kind of if you have, if you want that differentiated, you know, uh, capability in a model, then you really can do like a data mix and pre-train your own. Maybe this is where, you know, in three years, everyone will be, or a lot of people will be. But for now, it's super expensive. You know, it's, you require a ton of data, like, you know, we're talking you know, a billion plus tokens and um a lot more actually um and then it's super expensive and honestly there's not enough gpus to do this stuff so just trying to visually map for customers again to drive clarity um yeah this is just another mental model that i try to employ yeah this is really good 
really if you're a hobbyist like ml person or just trying to tinker with with stuff um to if you're like a very advanced enterprise interestingly enough like it's like it's not the case that oh yeah advanced enterprise just go for the pre-training approach if anything i think the because there's this capacity constraint problem right now and will likely be for the foreseeable future yeah as you said pre-training or, or training these models from scratch even if you did have all the data which is already a, a hurdle in and of itself yeah it's a very expensive endeavor and it may not always be better than uh, just regular or more effective prompt engineering so uh, yeah. so I, I do like this breakdown a lot very helpful mental model yeah, uh, and then I have a few others. Um, this is just talking about how GitHub does. I found this cool blog post where, again, I, I like I like visuals that explain, you know, sort of first principles. You know, when we use GitHub Copilot, yeah, it's great, but I really want to understand. And there was this really nice blog post on 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 GitHub Copilot X, I think something. Like it really talks about you know how they do it, and it's pretty much you know what. People are doing with semantic kernel with the rack pattern, right? They have a vector database that's local, you know, but it's the same idea. They have a prompt library, they, you know, augment and then send that to the model. And then, yeah, it's doing the same thing. And then show that ghost text and then you hit tab and then it completes. <laughs> but of course, it's, you know, more efficient, I'm sure, with how they do it. Um, so, so this is really how customers are kind of trying to adopt the Copilot stack. So in order to do that, again, I have this sort of sample and this workshop that kind of tries to surface up these concepts through use cases. Uh, because I think like, you know, we humans, we care about like stories and, and how it solves our problem. So while there's a lot of stuff there, I think if we just break it down, like if we were to distill, you know, a lot of these things into like the sort of first principles of it, you know, they really are solving for example, the main thing is, you know, synthesis, like um, the whole or old wor world of like, you know, I do a keyword based lookup, I get a bunch of blue links, I go click on them and, you know, in my head, I try to uh, synthesize is gone. I think it's just like, I have a question, I have an answer, you know, you do all the, you know, orchestration, whatever, and then just answer in a natural language. I think that is going to be the way most companies are going to adopt. So I have an example with semantic kernel, like how, you know, that pattern can be achieved using like a vector database and using connectors and plugins. But, but through like an actual use case, I try to surface up, okay, now this is how you do that. This is how you initialize the kernel. Uh, you know, this is like how you have your prompt template or, or you know, in, in, the, in the skills, how do you, you know, tweak the configurations. And then I need to complete that. But basically, these are native connectors. You know, how can you just the whole whole thing um, through code and through a story? I try to convey. And I have other use cases as well that I'm kind of documenting, like how like the whole traditional sort of you know, there's a generative AI and then there's discriminative AI, right? Like how do you like a traditional narrow ML model can now be rethought? Maybe you don't need like this, you know, one model that was trained on labeled data sets. To I'm sure you've you've seen like. Uh, you know, Jin Yang from Silicon Valley, right? Mm -hmm. Hot dog, not hot dog, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that is changing too. Like, okay, you have one size fits all, you know, general purpose model. Uh, let's apply it to do classification or, you know, traditional machine learning tasks like uh, named entity recognition or obviously summarization. 
there's just so many like it's crazy how many, how much we can do um so that's kind of the approach i'm taking with this and uh yeah the sample that you mentioned uh, with that is is miyagi uh which by the way thank you for also kind of talking about it and i i tried to catch uh, or keep up with how much you guys are doing it's kind of hard but it's trying to highlight like all the semantic kernel capabilities through those use cases and also others as well um, that I'm seeing from customers and within the sort of thing about uh, the Copilot stack. So like within our Copilot stack, you know, we have like a bunch of things there, like how can we, um, you know, use that to build these new front ends, you know, like a plugin on ChatGPT um, and how do you make use of new concepts like vector databases and all that stuff uh, within like at, by using like traditional sort of Azure primitives. So there's a lot of like APIM, uh, basically like a gateway plus the model pattern that we're seeing a lot from customers. So we're trying to highlight that here. And how do you host a chat GPT plugin securely behind like Azure in like an enterprise grade setting? Yeah, just things like that. Yeah, and it's fully open source, right? People can yeah, yeah, yeah. go in, Anybody look can at go it. In and, yeah, they can, they can run their own workshop, probably. <laughs> so that, that is the... Idea, some things you can't. So for example, I have two modules, the architecture design session and the discovery session, where actually um, um, I have a sort of um, link to John Mida's design thinking as well here. But essentially I have like a um, Figma template that you know customers can kind of fork and then they can um, start, like, you know, it can be like an active session where we can pick whichever mental model that they're that they're familiar with, either jobs to be done or whatever. And then um, this way, as they go through the workshop, it'll be more relevant for their use cases. Um, and the last section is like an architecture design session that is also one-on-one -on -one with the customer. But other than that, the other use cases, yeah, I'm hoping to kind of document here and kind of do it on your own type of thing. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well. That's a very uh, thorough, compelling walkthrough. I, I think it's amazing to see the inside the mind of of Govind. So uh, thank you for for walking us through that. Um, I have some more questions. Uh, so from your like survey or, or like working with all these customers and even just playing around with a lot of these things yourself. Um, what would you say is something that people are not paying enough attention to in AI? Yeah, so I think it goes back to the world that you and I uh, kind of came here from uh, at the intersection of atoms and bits. There's a lot going on where that general nature of that reduction of uncertainty, that it, you know, synthetic intelligence, if you will, is getting diffused. So if you think about like what DeepMind is doing with AlphaFold 2, in the protein sort of what is it protein folding problem uh where it really changed like the field of chemistry <laughs> or biology like or um yeah what what microsoft research is doing with, in the field of medicine um and, and even DeepMind, you know i think that's going to change like big time like the amount of like technology is a great um has been a great deflationary force but so far in the world of like you know um bits I think it's about to go into like atoms and we see that with you know this being applied in the basic sciences of course but also in sort of robotics waymo what it, you were in san francisco right i was in san, yeah 
I heard that you guys are seeing like a self-driving car all over the place now, like whether it's Waymo or, you know, all these other companies. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's all over cruise, Waymo, cruise, and yeah. a bunch of other ones. So I think that that's just going to go into every city. Like it's, I mean, it, yeah it'll just be a norm like it was gonna just a car with no driver and it'll just feel like whatever we're it's mobility we're going from place a to place b um and and uh also food delivery it's gonna you know it will be a deflationary force like the whole yes it will take away some jobs but whatever it's trying to solve it's just going to be cheap like energy is another one I'm reading about nuclear fusion like that is going to kind of drive energy down to zero almost so Energy is one of the, you know, ma well, right now the major sort of bottleneck is really the substrate that these intelligent things run on, which is in GPUs and and also the, the the memory and the network, all that thing. So, so I think that will catch up to demand. But as we're seeing with our customers in Azure, you know, there's capacity constraints because of that, and I think that's a limiting factor to applying these technology into the world of sort of atoms. Uh, but it's it's going to happen like uh, robotics is huge um whether even like what tesla is doing and what others are doing with you know uh i know i don't know if you have a roomba or something you know that does but it'll do more than a vacuum you know <laughs> like it, it's it's getting weird and then what uh covariant is doing with like these robots in um um like yeah pickers and all these things too like so i, I think that's a space where um i think there's capital being uh, kind of flowing in that space but not a general attention but because of how connected we all are i think it'll diffuse super fast yeah yeah i think technology in its history right has seen these really disruptive moments for sure um that yes has resulted in job loss uh, but certainly a lot of job creation new industries have formed and yeah it's it's incredible that we might be in one of those moments right now and just seeing all this change happen uh, and you know even having a a part of of like seeing that through right and and participating in that so i think that's been um, super exciting what would you say govin then is something that you personally are excited about uh, for the future so for me it always goes back to that poster like the deep mysteries of physics. I mean, hopefully if we can make progress in that direction of like just understanding, like abundance is great. Like I think the universe is abundant with natural resources and energy, but what is scarce is really like, you know, human attention and human consciousness. So like if we kind of, you know, allow like just research folks to use, you know, these, uh, I mean, I think uh, someone did a survey or something. I, I know it's going to be controversial to say it, but you know, it's kind of true. Um, generally, like a human population, higher IQ folks are in like these, um, you know, uh, theoretical physics or like um, the deep basic science research or applied math. If they can leverage these models, imagine like getting their IQ or having them be 20% efficient or something. <laughs> I just feel like we're going to make some major breakthroughs in, um, I don't know what happened before Big Bang or something like that, right? Uh, like, I think that will just, um, uh, I don't know, be satisfying for curious folks. Like, uh, you know, this has been a journey, like humanity has been on a journey to know why we exist. Like, maybe we'll finally know. Or maybe, I don't know what the answer is, 42, or <laughs> just being on the journey. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. So that part is exciting, yeah. yeah. As you mentioned the reference, I guess, 
are there any sort of favorite books or or movies that that you would personally recommend? I don't know if Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is, is at, at the top of that, but yeah, it is. Uh, uh, it, yeah, that one's definitely good. The other one, I actually have my books here. Um, the other one that I'm kind of rereading is is this one, The Beginning of Infinity by David Deutsch. This is a really good book. Um, yeah, it, I, I think this is one of those, you know, deep, deep books. Uh, it, it's written by the, uh, yeah, he is the father of quantum computation. He's a professor of physics at uh, Oxford. So he's really a deep thinker. Um, and then the other one that I'm kind of rereading <laughs> Actually, I read the first edition and now I'm kind of going through the third edition because it's important to kind of stay plugged into the first principles. Uh, I'm sure you've seen this book. This one, right? That's on machine learning. Yeah. Uh, so the third edition just came out and it's really good because it, you know, is updated to have like, you know, variational autoencoders, like the diffusion models or, um, yeah, transformers, I think was not even mentioned in the first edition. <laughs> But but now it is and kind of goes into the de depths of it. So so I think that book is really cool. Um, in terms of movies, uh, uh, this one show that I just finished watching, Silo on Apple TV, that one's really good. It's a little bit dystopian, but it um, not going to give away anything. But basically, it it um, is based on a book series, so you know it's uh, a popular book series. So it's it's really good. Yeah, that one was good. And also, um, I don't know if you saw this one, uh, Severance. Did you watch that one? I have not yet oh, watched okay. it. That was um, good too. Yeah, I've I've seen at least the the trailer, and it seemed pretty interesting. Yep. So Cool. Well, as we wrap up, one actually final question from my side is uh, to the listeners, um, Govin, what would you give as your advice to people who are looking to break into either the field of AI or even just people who are just trying to make sense of everything that they're seeing on the headlines, it could be maybe very jarring or or unsettling for, for some. I guess what what general advice would you would you give? Yeah, I think um, just like, I mean, I hate this follow the passion advice, but it, it's really like focus on what user need that you're currently trying to solve or a problem that you think society has or you have that you want to solve. And work backwards from that and see how these AI capabilities that are emerging can solve. That way, like whatever you learn is just going to be more relevant and you can apply it instantly. Uh, and there's so many ways to get started, like, you know, whether it's Coursera. I mean, I personally started with Andrew, Andrew Ning's, you know, course, uh, as most people did in this space. I didn't go to like, you know, a university or anything. Um, and there's also a ton of YouTube content, I'm sure. But always keep your eyes on the problem that you're trying to solve um, or like, you know, whatever you're, you're passionate about because that's just the only way things can be relevant. And because some, some of the, like, especially when you go more in uh, deep, you're going to see that it's all just a bunch, bunch of, you know, calculus. It's all a bunch of, you know, math equations. Uh, and in order to keep that interesting, it's important to kind of, um, you know, steer it towards what you're trying to solve. As much as follow the passion is very cliched advice, I think the passion at least gives you that motivation to be like, okay, I'm going to go through the, this next Coursera course. I'm going to open up that textbook that I that I have on the shelf. Um, yep. And yeah, I mean, it's 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 a driving force uh, for sure. And we we all need to cultivate it in our in our unique way. Yeah, so. absolutely. Govin, thank you so much for, for the time. Thank you for an awesome discussion, a, a great one. And 
yeah, I mean, if people want to follow you or 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 catch up with you in, in some ways, how how can people uh, find you? Yeah, so I'm on uh, Twitter, T2 Govind. Um, I don't know if I'm going to move to threads from Facebook soon, but we'll see. Uh, so that's one way. You can also hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, but uh, one more plug uh, for your newsletter. Uh, you know, please subscribe to Chowdowns. It's really cool. Like I, I'm, you know, paying attention to it. And it's, I, I don't know how you can do that. Like every day you're synthesizing so much information, but it's uh, for a reader, it's really useful. So yeah, that's a good one. Well, thank you for the shout out. Yeah, Chowdowns is my uh, daily portion of the, the broader chaos theory <laughs> newsletter. It's all, all play on my last name. So oh, um, chaos theory. Yeah, now I see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but anyway, awesome. Well, awesome. thank you again, Govind. And uh, yeah, have a great rest of the, the week. Thank you, Alex. You too. Hey, thanks for listening to Humans of AI. If you're building something with AI or our perspectives you want to share, drop me a note at alex.humansofai.xyz. And be sure to subscribe to my newsletter, Chaos Theory. Until next time, this is Alex, Resident Chaos Coordinator. <laughs>